Amen. The Lord is my rock. I don't know about you, but he definitely lifted me out of some junk, some mess. But you know what? He keeps lifting, right? He doesn't stop. He keeps lifting me out of a life without him. Amen. I want to start off today reading a passage of Scripture written by Isaiah over 2,700 years ago. It's a passage written to people who who were in the midst of severe suffering and difficulty. It, it, it was written to uh, uh, people who had lost nearly everything, especially they had lost their hope. Isaiah writes, uh, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My, my cause is disregarded by my God. You know, God, God, I'm going through a hard time. I'm sinking here. I'm, I'm crashing and burning here. You don't seem to notice, and you don't seem to care. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, what an honor and a privilege it is to come into your presence, Lord, to come into the presence of the of the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who is and was and always will be, the one who is our rock, the one who is always faithful, the one who always goes before us, the one who always is behind us and around us and is Jesus' followers is even in us. And, and God, I pray you be with us, Lord. Uh, God, I, I pray for those who came in here tired and weary and worn out and down and discouraged, Lord, beaten up and beaten down. Lord, I, I pray that no matter how they uh, came in here, Lord, that if they had to drag themselves in here, Lord, I, I pray that our time in your word and your presence, Lord, will renew their strength and, and that they'll leave soaring on wings like, like an eagle, Lord. God, we love you and we need you. God, may we hear your voice today. God, I, I pray that you enable me to speak your truth in the way you want it spoken. And God, may as the world sees us, May they see you in us, and may they see the hope that we have, because indeed, you are our rock. You are our refuge and our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. 2,000 years ago, Peter uh, wrote a letter to a, a bunch of believers who were literally exiles for Christ and uh, on, a, on a mission for Christ in a world that was not their home. And Because the world wasn't their home, these believers were really going through some hard and difficult times. And we've been digging into 1 Peter for for quite a while, and and the section we've been looking at since June 1st is a section that we're calling, you know, somebody's watching us. And the theme verse for this section is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter writes, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and Glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans. You see, how we live matters, right? Because you know, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are the city on the hill. And we are 
you know, the reality is for some people, right, where we work, where we live, across the counter, the grocery store, for some people, we are the only Jesus, right, that they're ever going to see, is what they see in us, is what they, they see in Jesus. And, and Peter, over the last several weeks, he said, you know, here, here's a way you can live such good lives. Here, here's a way that, uh, here's some ways that'll make your salt saltier and your light burn brighter. He says, number one, by, by dealing with sin and temptation differently. You know, not by being sinless, but by sinning less. And he says, another way that causes our lights to burn brighter in this world is by submitting to those who have authority over us. A third way, he says, is you want your light to burn brighter? Then follow God's design for your marriage. Husbands, follow the design that God has given you. Wives, follow the design that God has given you. And when we do that, guess what? Marriage actually works, right? If we work it, it'll work, and this world will see marriages working the way that God designed, and our light will burn brighter. And last week he said, you want your light to burn brighter and your salt to be saltier? Uh, then the way to do that is by handling conflict in a different way, right? You know, actually sometimes diffusing conflict with some attitude so that the conflict mom doesn't even go off to begin with. But also when we have conflict, it's not as messy as the way the world has conflict. And you know, today is the last message in the section. And, and Peter today is going to talk to us about, about how the unbelieving world is watching us when we're going, when we're suffering and going through hard times and how when you and I are going through hard times, it's an opportunity for our light to shine even brighter. First uh, Peter chapter, two, uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Peter writes, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Example, Christ. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay, quick time out. What in the world is he talking about right there? He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Like, what is he talking about here? You know, but it's worth spending some time because this passage provides an opportunity for us to talk about some keys to understanding the Bible. And so I, I kind of put on my teaching hat here, and here, here's some keys to understanding Scripture. Um, number one, in your notes, you'll see that all Scripture is equally inspired, but not equally clear. In other words, some passages are easy to understand, and some are not so easy. James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, pretty easy to understand, right? But Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison from the days of Noah, what in the world is that all about? The Bible sometimes is hard to understand. In fact, the Bible even admits that. 
Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.16, he says this about some of Paul's writing. You can, maybe you can relate. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort so they, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. You know what? I think when Paul read that, he goes, yeah, Pete, I know exactly what you mean. I was reading some of your stuff the other day, Pete, like this Noah and, and this preaching prince thing, and it gave me a stinking headache, right? It, you know, understand things like culture and language and distance can make it hard to figure out exactly what a passage is saying. Number two is that we interpret the less clear parts of the Bible in light of the more clear parts of the Bible. In other words, if our interpretation of an unclear kind of crazy passage contradicts teaching elsewhere that is clear, there's a good chance that our interpretation of the unclear is probably wrong. You see, we want to build doctrine not on the unclear, but on the more clear. Uh, number three, you know, there are weighty issues and not so weighty issues in the Bible, right? Uh, there are some issues that we need to die on the hill for, right? Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, how we receive his salvation. We got to die on the hill for those things. But other things are like, you know, are open to opinion. Okay, so let's talk about this briefly. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached in the Spirit in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay, let me tell you what Peter is not saying. He's not saying that somewhere between Jesus' death and resurrection, he went to Hades and, and preached a three-part sermon series uh, to the people who lived during the days of Noah. He's not saying that. That makes no sense whatsoever for at least three reasons. Uh, number one, when Jesus died, he did not go to Hades. He went to paradise. Uh, number two, even if he did go, why would he only preach to those people in Hades, right? I mean, you know, just in the days of Noah. There's like a lot of hundreds of years, right? There's centuries after that. Why wouldn't he preach to them? Third, why would Jesus preach a message to people who would have no opportunity to repent? Jesus said in Luke 16, right, that he says, you know, that once we die, right, our, our, our fate is set at our death, right? It, it's determined. Hebrews 9, 27 says a man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, okay? That makes sense at least to me. So then what is Peter saying? Okay, we know from Scripture, follow my line of reasoning, that, that this, this is my teaching hat, um, that, 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 that Peter wasn't just a boat builder, that he also was a preacher. And we know that because of what Peter said in 2 Peter. He said, um, you know, God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a what? A preacher of righteousness and seven others. And we also know that Peter already told us in this letter in, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter that the people in the Old Testament, the prophets, spoke about our salvation in the New Testament. Here's what he said. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the promises of glory that would follow. Okay, so here, here is my slightly educated, um, written in bold pencil opinion of what Peter is saying here about Noah, uh, Jesus preaching to the people of Noah's day. I, I think he's saying this. The spirit of Christ was in Noah as he built the ark and as he preached the word of God to the wicked people in that generation. Okay, That's what I think it means. I'm not going to die on a hill for it. And, and you were dying to know that all your life, right? You know, so you're like, wow, now you know, right? Now you know. 
Back to our text. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. For we also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently for the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You know, when I, when I first read this passage, uh, it, what jumped out to me was all the times that, that Peter talked about suffering and suffering for, for doing what is good, five times in 10 verses. And in and, and, and verse 13, he says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right. Verse 16, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior. Verse 17, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good. And then verse 18, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And listen, right in the middle of those 10 verses is, is, is verse 15. And right in the middle of verse 15 is a, is a word that, that sparkles like a diamond on a ring. And I'm going to read verse 15. And, and tell me if you can see that, that word that sparkles like a diamond. But in your heart, set apart, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. Okay, I'm cheating, right? right? Now you know what it is. To the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know, it's so awesome to me that Peter just assumes that, 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 that the world would look at these beaten down and persecuted believers and that they would not see despair, but they would see hope. I mean, Peter just assumes that people would see their lives and ask them, why, how? I mean, you lost your job, you lost your health, you lost a loved one. Nothing seems to be going right in your life at all. Yet when I look at you, what I see coming out of you is not despair, but hope. Why? How? And listen, this is the same hope that Peter wrote about in chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we praise him? Because he gave us a good parking place somewhere? No. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's a hope that's alive, and it's a hope that sparkles like a diamond, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And the way I want to attack our text this morning is I want to talk about five rock-solid truths, five rock-solid promises that will produce a living hope in the midst of the most severe storms. Five powerful promises that provide our hope with a firm foundation. Right, and foundations are important in any building, right? And if you don't believe me, maybe you know you believe a story about three brothers that there's three brothers that you know, and they have a very familiar story about how important it is what you choose to build something on. Um, perhaps you know their story. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs, <laughs> and the time came for them to leave home and to seek their fortunes. 
before they left, their mother told them, whatever you do, do it your best that you can because that's the way to get along in the world. The first little pig built this house out of straw. And I have some straw here, right? Okay, some straw. I have straw, sticks, and bricks because it was the easiest thing to do. Second little pig built the house out of sticks. This was a little bit stronger than a straw house. And the third little pig built this house out of bricks. One night, the big bad wolf, who dearly loves to eat fat little piggies, came along and saw the first little pig in his house of straw. And he said, let me in, little pig, let me in, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And the little piggy said, and I need some audience participation here, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, whatever that is, right? (laughs) And of course, the wolf did blow, and the house fell in, and he ate that first little pig. I know they cleaned it up, but he wasn't blowing the house down to take the guy out for coffee, right? He wanted to have the guy for dinner, right? (laughs) Ate him, gone. The wolf then came to the house of sticks. Let me in, let me in, little pig, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And the little piggy said, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. But the wolf blew that house down to and ate the second little pig. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Then the wolf came to the house of bricks. Let me in, let me in, cried the wolf, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And the little piggy said, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And the wolf, he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed and he got dizzy and he passed out. And the little piggy sitting in his chair said, this is better than cable. This is pretty awesome. <laughs> and the little, big, little piggy killed him while he was sleeping. And, no, no. <laughs> now, now, would you agree that two of these brothers chose the wrong material to build their house on? And that one brother made a wise choice. Again, a very familiar story. Uh, one more story about a couple of builders. It's, uh, you know it, and it's a little bit older than the three little piggies. We call it the two little builders. <laughs> Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, anybody ever do that? It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, people in our world and maybe even people in this room have placed their hope in all kinds of sand and, 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 and sticks and straw. Uh, they, they hope that they'll meet Mr. and Mrs. Wright. They hope that Mr. and Mrs. Wright actually stays right. Yeah, they, they, they hope that their kids will turn out okay. They hope that they'll stay healthy. They hope that the economy will turn around. They hope that their economy will turn around. They hope that their lives will get better. They hope that they find the perfect job. They hope that they'll have fewer problems, that things will get better. But there's just one problem with the world's hope is that it's built on an insecure foundation of sand, sticks, and straw. I understand there's no guarantee that our, our kids are going to turn out right. There's no guarantee that, that things are going to get better, that things will turn around. You see, the world's version of hope is nothing more than wishful thinking. Back in the days of Jeremiah, 
You know, Jeremiah the prophet, not the bullfrog. <laughs> Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Dun, dun, dun. He was a good friend of mine. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> he never understood a single word you said. But someone slapped her in the head and I was singing. Don't interrupt me. No, kidding. <laughs> All right. Yeah, my wife's not here to ring me in. It gets crazy. Uh, but the people in Jeremiah's day, you know, they, they, they uh, were making a lot of wishful thinking. They had put their hope in a lot of unstable things like their wealth, their kings, armies, their allies, rather than on God. And here's what God says about that. He says, this is what the Lord says, curse are those who put their trust or, or their hope in mere humans and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness on the salty flats where no one lives. And we put our hope in something other than God. We put our hope in, in, in sand, sticks, and straw. We are like stunted shrubs in the desert. Uh, we're like someone living in a barren wilderness, and we have no hope for our future. I understand nearly every day the rescue vehicle pulls up to someone's life and pronounces the hope of that person dead. Divorce, death, disease, lies, affairs, deceit, layoffs, accidents, breakdowns and breakups, huff and puff and blow their house down. I recently got a call from a friend who said, I, 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 I was thinking you know, that I started to see a light at the end of the tunnel, but out of nowhere, the tunnel got longer and the light got dimmer. And, and let me tell you what happens to some of us. You know, our hope, when we put it in sand sticks and straw, it, our hope dies so many deaths that we don't ever expect it to live again. And instead, we're always waiting for the big bad wolf to come huffing and puffing along. We're always waiting for the next thing to fall apart. But listen, as God's people, as children of the sovereign king of the universe, our hope's to be different. Uh, understand, Christian hope is, is not defined as wishful thinking, but as an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. Understand, be, be, because of God's character, he's 100% trustworthy, and his powerful promises, our, our hope has a foundation. You know, our, our hope is actually built on something solid. It's built on brick. It's secure. It's certain. It's both wolf-proof and storm-proof. The, the, the very next two verses in Jeremiah, you know, we just read about the stunted shrubs, but here, here's what he says in the very next verses. I love this. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Repeat after me. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. And have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are, are not bothered by the heat. Are you bothered right now? Or are worried by long months of drought? Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious, delectable fruit. And did you notice that these trees still experience heat? 
They still experience drought. The wolf still huffs. The wolf still puffs. The rain still comes. The streams still rise. But their hope stands firm because it's built on something solid. It's built on God. Why? Because it's built on God's powerful promises. And throughout Scripture, we see many powerful promises of God. And, and Peter shares five powerful promises of God. That we know, right? I mean, if you've been here a while, you never walk in here for the most part, except maybe this Noah thing, thinking, wow, I never knew that. This is incredible, right? You know this stuff. I know this stuff. I forget this stuff. You forget this stuff. And today God is saying, forget about all that. And today God is saying, believe it. God says, believe the truth I'm about to share with you. If you're tired of your hope being on sand and straw, you're tired of the big bad wolf just huffing and puffing and, and watching everything just fall apart. Powerful promise number one is this, that God is watching over us. Peter writes in verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. I mean, think about that. You know, God, capital G, created everything God is watching over you. Now understand, God's eyes and his ears at all times, in all places, in all circumstances are on you. It, it, you know, uh, this morning, you know, I was feeling really, really tired and, and going over my message, and I decided I set my timer on my phone for 15 minutes and laid across the bed in, in my basement office, and, and I said, okay, I just need 15 minutes, and I laid there at, at three minutes to go. You know what I hear outside? A bird. And God says, hey, you know, if I... If my eyes on a stinking sparrow, now you may like sparrows, and I apologize for saying stinking, you know, but God says, if I care about a sparrow, man, you don't think I care about you? You know, listen, you are never outside the reach of God's ears and God's eyes and God's care. What a brick to build your hope on. God, the sovereign, all-powerful God is watching over you. A great passage about this, we sang in that song always, Psalm 121, and Psalm 21, it means so much to me. Um, you know, back around 1995-96, you know, when, when my wife Judy was winning her battle with cancer because cancer didn't beat her. She just went home to be with Jesus. But she was in a hospital at, at, at um, University Hospital in Tampa, and, you know, her blood pressure, everything was going wacky, right? And she couldn't settle down. They're bringing her in, giving medicine. She's actually having hallucinations in the room. Very, it went on for like three hours. And then suddenly Judy looks at me. She goes, where's my Bible? It was on the bookshelf. It was on the shelf by the window. She goes, get it. I hand her her Bible. She goes, read this. Psalm 121. I read it. And immediately, not making it up, immediately God's peace washed over her. And all the help they tried to give her that couldn't, she instantly calmed down and drifted off into a peaceful sleep. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Talk, talk about some help. He will not let your foot slip. I know you're going through a hard time. I know it's hard. I, I know the wolf is huffing and puffing. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, not just today, not just tomorrow, both now and forevermore. God is watching over you. What a breath. Second Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Peter says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. Maple Grove, Jesus followers, God is watching over you. Amen? He's watching over you. Repeat after me. God is watching over me. God is watching over me. That's crazy. It's true. I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. Oh, squeaky. Where's the oil can? The next brick, powerful promise, is not, no one, nothing can really harm us. Uh, Peter writes, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And here's the bottom line. It, it, as a Jesus follower, no one can really harm us. And, and the way... We like to say it at the Grove, or at least I like to say it at the Grove, is this. Nothing can ultimately harm us because nothing can harm us ultimately, right? Nothing can. You know, yeah, the world can smack me around, right? The world can huff and puff. The world can knock me down. But guess what? My future, my eternity, my destiny is secure. So nothing, no one can really ever harm me. Uh, Jesus was, was speaking to a, a, a great crowd of people, and, and he said this to them, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. I, I'd kind of be afraid. Um, they can only kill the body. They, can, they cannot do any more to you, but I tell you whom to fear, fear God, who has the power to kill people and throw them into hell. You know, Here, Here's the deal. You know, and I, I, I so don't do it, but I know it, you know. If we fear God, we fear nothing else. Try it. See what happens, right? Fear God, you fear nothing else. Don't fear God. There's a boogeyman behind every corner, right? Under your bed. I got to look under here. What's going to happen? I'm afraid. I'm worried. Psalm 56, but when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Oh, God, I praise your word. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? In Romans 8, we have that classic passage about how how no person, no situation can really harm us because guess what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not making it up. Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? I'm going through hard times. Does that mean he doesn't love me? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels can. Demons can. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Whether we're high above the sky, everything's going great, or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Talk 
about a breakfast. Nothing. Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. I know. But nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Third brick, third powerful promise to build your your hope on is, and pay attention, I got a brick to chunk at you. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Hey, wiffle balls and bricks, right? Um, Easter bunnies. Um, God will reward your suffering. Peter writes in verse 14, but even if you suffer for doing uh, what is right, God will reward you for it. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when you are mocked and persecuted and lied about because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted too. Man, what a promise. What a brick to hold on to in the face of suffering. You know, to, to know that, that God is keeping score, to know that God sees, and to know that when all is said and done, right, God is going to make it all right, right? God's going to make it right. You know, as Paul said, right, in Romans eight eighteen, Paul says, I consider that, that my present suffering, and the dude suffered a lot, are not worth comparing to what's coming, because what's coming is going to blow my stinking mind every day. Maple Grove, God is going to reward us, reward me, reward you, and he is the ultimate rewarder. He says in Revelation 22, behold, I'm coming soon, my reward is with me, and I give to everyone according to what he has done. And listen, embracing this truth, believing this truth, that God will reward us, will help give us an optimistic outlook even in the midst of the most difficult of times. Case in point, the Apostle Paul, he's in jail, right? He's about to be executed. He writes a letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, right? And what what does he say, right? Yeah, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And he, he says, and now a prize awaits me, a reward, the crown of righteousness that God's gonna give to me to anyone else who follows him. God, yeah, the winds are blowing, I know, but God is watching over you. No one, nothing can really harm you. God will reward you. And next, Christ has brought us safely home to God. Christ also suffered when he died for our sins once for all time. He, he never sinned, but he died for sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. Safely home to God. And then Peter talks about Noah and the flood and and how they were saved through the water in verse 21. Uh, he says, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, what a solid rock. What, what, a, what, what a powerful promise to give us an optimistic outlook about our future. Jesus died for our sins. He died for all our sins, once and for all. Uh, understand, you being right with God, you being safely brought home to the Father, you being saved, you going to heaven, does not depend on you. It depends on Jesus. It depends on Jesus, the one who never sinned and who died in your place and who was raised back to life. What a brick. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have been brought safely home to God. And there's no place like home. Ask LeBron James, right, who just went back to right, his hometown. He saw that one coming, right? And then, then do you notice that in verse 21, Peter talks about one of the ways that we're to respond to Christ's death and resurrection in order to be right with God. 
to be brought home safely. He says, and this water of the flood symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It, or baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Understand, God through Peter clearly says that, that our baptism is clearly connected to, to our salvation. And, 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 and this is where we see the fourth point you see in your notes of, of a biblical principle is this. Um, no verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scripture. And what that means is no verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scriptures. It means if it says something, it's got to mean that, right? You know, if John 3.16 says, whoever believes in the Lord will not perish but have everlasting life, it's got to, it's got to mean that. But it can mean more in light of other scriptures that say, hey, we need to repent. We need to be baptized. You know, 1 Peter 3.21, you know, you know, has to mean, right, you know, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. It has to mean that, right, that baptism is connected with salvation. But it, in light of other scriptures, we know what? That it means more, right, that we have to believe, that we, we, have, to, we have to repent. And, and where's the power in our salvation? Is the power in the water? No. Peter said it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives its power. It says baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And listen, the baptism of a repentant believer is where we get in on the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's exactly what God breathed through Paul in Romans 6. Check this out. I'm not making this up. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, the very thing that saves us. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. You see, at Maple Grove, we make a big deal about belief, a big deal about repentance, a big deal about confession, and a big deal about baptism because the Bible, our highest authority, it makes a, it makes a big deal about it. You know, and, and, and just to let you know, if you're here today and you've never been baptized, I accidentally took a bunch of towels home and didn't bring them back till the day. And so they're all, they're, they're clean. I even used some bleach on it. So I got fresh towels if you want to be baptized today. You want to surrender to Christ and be buried with him, you know, and, and experience what scripture says. We have been brought safely home, not because of what we did, right? We're saved by grace, not through works that no one should boast. God is watching over you. Nothing, no one can really harm us. God's going to reward you one day. And you have already, through the blood of Jesus Christ, been brought safely home to God. And the fifth brick, the fifth powerful promise to build our hope on is that Jesus Christ is in total control. Peter writes, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The Message Bible words it this way. I like this. Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone. From angels to armies, he's standing right alongside God, and what he says goes. And some of Jesus' last words, I mean, think about the implications of this, where he says this, all authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. When Jesus comes back in Revelation 19, we're told that, that he has on his robe and his thigh, he, he, it doesn't just say king, it says what? King of kings. It, it doesn't just say Lord, it, it says Lord of lords. Who's in charge? Who's in control of everything? Who has all authority? Jesus Christ has all authority. Listen, what Jesus says goes. There's no debate. There's no doubt. There's no questions because Jesus Christ is, he is the great I am. You know, at the North American um, Christian Convention, we, we sang that song, The Great I Am, a bunch of times. And, and when you got to that, you know, my, my favorite, we, I wish we sang that one thing like a hundred times in a row, um, that, that my favorite part, and you could just see the power in the room is people just declaring this, you know, the mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee at the mention of your name, King of Majesty. There is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am. Jesus Christ is in total control. Jesus Christ and nothing else controls my destiny and your destiny as a Jesus follower. And listen, because Jesus has all authority, Jesus will. He will deliver what he promised. He will provide all that we need. He will forgive our sins. He will keep us from falling. He will conquer our problems. He will calm our storms. He will defeat our enemies. What everything Jesus said he's going to do, he's going to do. Jesus is faithful. Jesus can be trusted. Five bricks. You know, uh, we can build our hope on straw and, or sticks, or we can build it on a brick. You know, and, and I, for one, I, I don't know about you, I, whenever my hope, you know, it's like when the, the, the low hope idiot light comes on my dashboard, right on my car, oh, your hope is low, you know, and that idiot light comes on, it, you know, I, I know why. Because I put my hope in the wrong things. You know, but when I put my hope in something solid, when I go and I go, you know, when I know that God is watching over me, nothing, no one can hurt me. God, one day, no matter what I'm going through, God, one day you're going to make it right and you're going to award me. And God, I've already, because of what Jesus Christ has done, God, I'm already safe home with you. And, and Jesus, no matter how chaotic this world looks, how out of control, you are in absolute control. You have all authority. And you will take me safely home to be with God. Now that's how I spell hope. And the key to experiencing this hope is also in verse 15. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Right? Yeah, he's got to be Lord. He's got to be the boss, right? You know, that's what Sylvia, you know, maybe we, you know, when she, whenever Sylvia is, is, is baptized as a little kid, right? Do you want Jesus to be the boss of your life? Yeah. You know, and, and that means we do what he says, right? What, whatever Jesus says to do, we do. We, we, don't, we don't question it, you know? You know, um, we just follow. We, we just obey. Because remember what Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It, it, it was a cold October afternoon in 1982 in, in Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, and the stadium was packed, and there were 60,000 diehard University of Wisconsin fans watching their team take on the Michigan State Spartans. And it didn't take long to figure out what team was better. 
I mean, Michigan State was crushing them. I mean, crushing them. Every quarter, it got worse. The deficit got larger. And, and, and the crazy thing was that the further they got behind, the more cheers you heard in the stadium and the more applause. It's like, what is going on? Are these people like crazy? Did a bunch of Spartan fans sneak in here in disguise? And see, what had happened, unbeknown to them, it's kind of why I was wearing these headphones today, listening to something else, is that the Milwaukee Brewers were playing against the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series game three, and they were winning. And so the people were responding to what was going on in another place in another game. And, and you know what? There's something about being tuned into a, another game. You know, because let, let's admit it. Sometimes life, right, what we're dealing with, the channel that we're on in our life isn't so good, you know. But when we tune into God's channel, uh, we find out, wait a second, I know life is hard and it's difficult, but you know what? God channel says, you know what? Even in the midst of this, the, the Lord is my help and he, he, he is he's watching over me and he's going to reward me and nothing can really hurt me and he's already brought me safely home with God and no matter how chaotic it looks, he is in complete control of what I'm going through. You know, th th there was a guy 100 plus years ago, you know, who was really good at tuning in to another game, you know, going through a devastating time in his life, and yet he had hope. You know, he had hope. And here's his story. And after his sto you hear his story, we're going to sing a song.